0: to uh, watch Andre preach tonight and stay on land. I hope you're not going to be preaching and walking on the water, unless you knew where the pontoons are. It's so uh, delighted that he would come back. We were nervous. Good. good. And uh, uh, we had church this morning, and we don't know if he's got, you know, if he could preach twice in one day, if he's able to do it if he can get in shape, but I think he can. And uh, we're just delighted to have Andre Sims and his precious wife, Kathy. Uh, mm-hmm. Glad to have them all day. <laughs> and uh, we're going back to the state of Washington to tomorrow. And uh, we just feel like it's been a divine appointment. And uh, I saw him carrying some frying pans in here. I said, you didn't learn that in Greek. So we'll see what he's gonna do. You better get ready. Good to see you, Don. Ronnie and Kim, good to have you. Come on, Andre, we want you to come and preach.
1: (laughs) Yeah, this might be. uh (laughs) (laughs) What a blessing to be back. Thank you. Thank you for loving on us and uh, hugging on us and encouraging us in the Lord. Uh, What a blessing to meet our family in Christ in California. And so uh, let's just be clear that uh, the title of the message is offensive, Uh, because the message title is, you can can go to hell. (laughs) Yeah, that kind of cuts somebody. But we can't allow what the world has defined to become the truth when the Scripture's already given us the truth. Hell is not a curse word, it's a location. It's a place. And there are people that I know, friends that I have, associates, relatives, and neighbors that are on their way there. And the truth is, you know some folks that are heading there too. Now, here's the thing. I'm an African-American male. I'm six feet tall. I weigh 245 pounds. I bench just over 500 pounds. I squat just over 900 pounds. I've been messing around with steel weights for a long time. And so I use weights, I use phone books, I use frying pans, I use baseball bats. I use two-by-fours. I run through two-by-fours with no shoulder pads, no helmet, no equipment, get two guys to hold three duct tape two-by-fours together. I run full speed. It's live most of the time, unless you've ever seen us on uh, Extreme Impact on TV and on Saturday nights at midnight. I travel with a group of guys called the Power Team, and we communicate the gospel using feats of strength. Now, with those two-by-fours, it's kind of, you know, it might be the most fantastic thing you've ever seen live. You know, you got two guys on the end, they weigh about 260, 270 apiece. They're running full speed with three duct tape two-by-fours. You got a guy that weighs about 240, 245, running full speed, and he's either going to be clotheslined or oh, he's not gonna flinch, he's not going to shake, he's not going to pull up in fear, and he's gonna run through the two by fours like a hot knife through butter. That's the goal. <laughs> That's the objective. Now there have been nights where I have seen, I praise the Lord, I've never been the victim. I've never been the guy, I've always been the guy holding when I've seen it. But the guy kind of flinched halfway to the two by fours, kind of pulled up Jessa a millisecond. And the two by fours bent and they creaked and they cracked, but they didn't break. And I saw the largest human slingshot I'd ever seen in my whole life. <laughs> Nothing but Nike swoosh heading in the opposite direction. So we use feats of strength to communicate the life, the death, the burial, and the resurrection of Jesus Christ. It's the greatest message ever communicated. And I counted a privilege to be allowed to make Him known. It's not, I'm not being penalized. It's not punitive for me to give the gospel. God's not mad at me. It's a privilege to be allowed to share the gospel message. And I pray that you feel the same. And I pray that you seek the Lord for your niche, your knack, your swag. How are you going to do it? What's, what's going to be your flavor? What are you going to add to or take away from some things that you've heard communicated in the past? that allow you to become faithful, to obey the command of God. And how many besides me want to be faithful to the Lord? How many know He deserves faithfulness? Let me see your hand. How many know we can never pay God for all He's done for us? Hallelujah. Let's pray. Lord God, we thank you so much. Lord, thank you for allowing us to gather together with brothers and sisters in the Lord. Thank you for making your truth known to us in the Scripture. Thank you for helping us to come to the realization That apart from your grace and your mercy, we don't receive the gift of eternal life. We don't have the hope of heaven. We suffer from the wiles of the enemy, and we live a defeated life. But because of you, O Lord, we get to experience abundance in this life, and joy that's eternal. Father, I pray that we would seek you for wisdom as to how to make this joy known to every man, woman, boy, and girl that you allow us to encounter that would not make a profession of faith that cannot articulate their salvation experience. For it's in Jesus' name we pray. And all God's people said? Amen. Amen. So uh, if I told you to go to hell, you'd be upset because we use it in our culture as a cursing phrase. But the truth of the matter is is that even with that title, I've had people in the ministry, individuals around the country that have gotten upset that I would use a title of that nature in the church. Sounded somewhat sacrilegious that I would say, you can go to hell. And, and my heart has been heavy because I, I know that those same believers would judge that particular word but not judge themselves for failing to communicate the gospel. They would identify the man of God as cursing as opposed to dealing with the reality of their own heart of not making Jesus known. So here's the deal. As far as God is concerned, all sin is equal. I know that's a challenge for somebody because you think that the homosexual is practicing a greater sin or a more egregious sin than you who practice heterosexual sex outside of marriage. As far as God's concerned, When you hit the gas at the yellow light, (laughs) because, you know, we live in America. Yellow means gas. (laughs) Let's not slow down and pump the brakes for yield. (laughs) Hurry up, get your rear wheels over the crosswalk unless you get a photo. (laughs) As far as God is concerned, everything or everyone who transgresses His law grieves His spirit. James chapter 2 says, if I fall short in one aspect of the law, I'm guilty of breaking all the law. So Luke chapter 12 makes it clear that the more I know, the greater accountability I have. So while all sin is equal, all punishment isn't equal. Because punishment or consequence is commensurate to knowledge. The more I know, the greater the spanking. And for those that don't know, the God I serve, Hebrews chapter 12, believes in leather conferences. <laughs> that's, that's leather right there. <laughs> he kind of like my dad. He never heard a timeout or restriction. <laughs> Boy, <laughs> that means leather. It's time to swing. <laughs> time for me to beg. So here's the deal. I'm so glad that God's not like me. He doesn't spank me for every foolish thing I've done. He's not a tit-for-tat God. In every way I fail him, he doesn't punish me. Hallelujah, thank you, Jesus. I must be the only one that is happy about the mercy of God. Because the truth is, if he gave me what I deserved, I'd be dead. I'd be dead. I wouldn't even be up here. wouldn't even be having a conversation with you. And that's why I'm not so quick to get upset when I've had my devotions 14 days in a row. You know, I went deep, fasted a couple of two, three days in a week. Prayed like two hours by myself on my knees before the Lord and get a flat. Y'all know how that works. Okay, now, wait a minute, God. I have my devotions. What you doing with the flat thing? Hey, hey, hey. I've been in the word all week. <laughs> I know I'm not the only guy that thinks that way. Every now and then I want to know where's my reward? <laughs> I've been doing my thing. Me and the wife have been having devotions. <laughs> I've been cleansing her by water, by washing with the water through the word Ephesians 5:26. I'm supposed to communicate the truth to my wife, lest she show up with not being holy and not being without spot or not being without wrinkle, as it were. So when I get frustrated with my wife, I have to indict myself because I'm the guy that's supposed to be offering the cleansing agent. And so when stuff is not happening the way I think it's supposed to happen, I get a little frustrated. I got you now, come on now. I don't read the Bible. I've delighted myself in the Lord. You're supposed to give me the desires of my heart. I don't read the book. Chapter 37, verse 4, I know what it says. Then I mess up, you know, flesh slip in a little bit. I'm not so quick to ask him to give me what I'm supposed to have. (laughs) A little slower on that one than the fasting last week. And so I'm just wanting to encourage you to consider that there are people that you know that I'll never meet in my lifetime. People that you know that would never listen to me if I met them. People that are in your circle of influence, sociologists say that every person has an influence of at least 30 individuals. Whether you know it or not, whether they're speaking to you or not, whether they're your associates or classmates or not, in the middle school or the high school, they know you. They're watching your life, and you have opportunity to be the light that shines for Jesus Christ. So even if I walked up to them, they'd be like, no, I'm not talking to the bald black dude. That's not for me they don't want to listen to me because they haven't been watching me because I have no credibility. But they've been watching you. They know you live an impeccable Christian life. They just don't know how to get what you have because you won't tell them. They see it. They want it. They like it. They think there's something to it. They just can't get themselves to ask you, well, how do I get it? So they make their own effort. They just go to church and just hope that it it just, you know, okay, I went. Let me see. Is it working? (laughs) Do I look saved? So when you read the Bible and you read the Apostle Paul, and you're reminded in 2 Corinthians chapter 12, he says that he doesn't know whether his experience was in the body or out of the body, but he knows he was caught up to the third heaven, which suggests that there are two other heavens. So there's a first heaven. It's known as that which is the atmospheric pressure. I was in the first heaven on my way here (laughs) on a Southwest flight. The atmospheric pressure, the clouds, is known in the scripture as the first heaven. The rains came from heaven. There is a second heaven in the scripture, it's called the cosmos, the interstellar space. Where the stars are is known as the second heaven. But Paul said, I was caught up. He says, I don't know if I was in the body or out of the body, but I know I wound up in the third heaven. It's called the abode of God. That's where I plan on being. For eternity. And just for the record, Southwest can't get you there. (laughs) Can I get me a flight? Uh, No. No, you can't get a flight there you got to choose the Christ. You can't earn Him. You can't merit your way. You can't achieve it on your best day, best year, best lifetime. You have to receive the Christ. John chapter 1, verse 12, but as many as received Him, to them He gave the right to become children of God even to those who believe on His name. And in the same way that there are three heavens, there are three hells in the Bible three hells you're like okay well god how many hells you need for the bad folk (laughs) it's three of them huh so they all have different greek words but we pronounce and use them the same in english every time you see it in the scripture it's defined as hell so you're not necessarily sure what exactly is being communicated so uh, again, in keeping with our alliteration, because we're at the Bible church. <laughs> I hate for a pastor to call Dr. Lawson and tell him I done lost my way. Honestly, I don't know how to have alliteration in my message. So 2 Peter chapter 2, 2 Peter chapter 2, starting at verse 4, our first point is, uh, begins with an H and it's hell. <laughs> point number 2, begins with an H. Is hell. <laughs> Point number three. Take a wild guess. <laughs> yeah, it's H. Same literation. Is <laughs> hell. Second Peter chapter two, verse four. So Peter is making sure that the Israelites know. Uh, that the Hebrews know that while God is merciful and God is gracious, God will send the false teacher and the non-believer to hell. He uses three illustrations to demonstrate that mercy and grace don't preclude his requirement to be a just God. By his character and nature alone, he has a responsibility to deal with wickedness and unrighteousness. And he gives three illustrations. And he starts with the first one. He says in verse 4, For if God did not spare the angels who sinned, but cast them to hell and delivered them into chains of darkness to be reserved for judgment. So the scripture says that God didn't spare the fallen angels. Now, not all fallen angels are in hell. Greek word, Tartarus. This particular hell is known as the lowest hell, the deepest pit. The greatest amount of torture and punishment of all the hells is known as Tartarus. It's a word taken from Greek mythology that was later understood to depict the holding place of fallen angels who, according to the book of Jude, have left their domain. So go to Jude, verse 6, Jude, verse 6. The Scripture says, and the angels who did not keep their proper domain but left their own abode. He has reserved in everlasting chains under darkness for the judgment of the great day. So these fallen angels that are not roaming the earth to and fro, they're not heading up to heaven to make accusation against the believer. They're bound in this place called Tartarus, English word, hell. And when you go to Genesis chapter 6, I know we're having a Bible drill. Head on up to the front. Genesis chapter 6, we can find out why are these particular fallen angels being bound in Tartarus or hell. Genesis chapter 6, starting at verse 1. Now it came to pass when men began to multiply on the face of the earth and daughters were born to them that the sons of God saw the daughters of men that they were beautiful and they took wives for themselves of all whom they chose, And the Lord said, My spirit shall not strive with man forever, for he is indeed flesh, yet his days shall be one hundred and twenty years. So the angels were not designed by God to procreate. But they saw what men were doing and decided they wanted to do it too. And so these angels, these fallen angels, decided that they would consummate relationships. (laughs) Eddie Murphy says, have relations. You just have to figure that out. And because they chose to leave their proper domain, the book of Jude says, God placed them in Tartarus. Because God won't allow people to just live out of bounds forever. He's a merciful God, he's a gracious God. But he has this place of limitation and with these fallen angels, He placed them in this holding cell, if you will. It's a real location. It's a physical place. It's a place of torture. It's a place of punishment. And the fallen angels, those who chose to do their own thing, and God is a God of limitations. Even with the believer, we have liberties, but we have freedom within limits. So I have the liberty or the freedom to drink alcohol. Contrary to popular opinion, I could actually have a drink because the scripture tells me not to get drunk. That's the limitation that I have. That's the boundary that God uses to surround my freedom. All things are lawful for me, but not all things are helpful. All things are lawful, but I will not be mastered by anything. So some of y'all can't have a drink. Don't be sending the pastor no emails. What the preacher said. (laughs) He was from Dallas. No, some of us can't have a drink because the drink will master us. We don't master it. So that's to each individual. Romans 14 23 says that anything done without faith is sin. If it's a yellow light or there's a check in my spirit, I'm supposed to stop find out what God is saying, get the green light from the Lord, then I can proceed. Because anything not done of faith is sin for me, while it might not be for you. So they find themselves bound in this place that's not the final hell. It's a holding place. And just like the fallen angels who left their proper domain and find themselves in Tartarus, the Bible says in Revelation chapter 20 verse 1, It's the same place that Satan will be bound for a thousand years called the bottomless pit. We've seen movies in Hollywood made about this place. It's called the abyss. They just don't know how to describe because they haven't read the book. They got spaceships and stuff. You know, black holes with the astronauts. No, that's not what this is. (laughs) This is where you go when you mess up shop. And God's decided that enough is enough. And you find yourself in torment until God decides that your situation is going to go from bad to worse. Because there's no redemption from this location. Once you find yourself there, you're there for eternity. And if you get moved there, from there, to another place, it's not a better place. It's a worse place. And that's what happens to your friends. That's what happens to your relatives. That's what happens to to my family when they choose not to receive the Christ. And they die in that disposition. They wind up in this point number two place called Hades. Translated in English, hell. Found in the book of Luke, you've read the story a thousand times. Luke chapter 16. Luke chapter 16, starting at verse 19, Scripture says, "'There was a certain rich man who was clothed in purple and fine linen and fared sumptuously every day.'" (laughs) Ebonically speaking, got his grub on on the regular. (laughs) Verse 20, "'But there was a certain beggar named Lazarus, full of sores, who was laid at his gate, desiring to be fed with the crumbs which fell from the rich man's table. Moreover, the dogs came and licked his sores. So it was that the beggar died and was carried by the angels to Abraham's bosom. The rich man also died and was buried. Now watch this. And being in torments in Hades, he lifted up his eyes and saw Abraham afar off and Lazarus in his bosom. Then he cried and said, Father Abraham, have mercy on me and send Lazarus that he may dip the tip of his finger in water and cool my tongue for I am tormented in this flame. He has died without Christ. He is in a place called Hades, Hebrew word sheol. In this particular time, this Sheol place is the abode of the dead. It's the righteous dead and the unrighteous dead. The righteous dead are in Abraham's bosom. It's known as paradise. The unrighteous dead are in this place called Hades, and they're in torment in this flame. And I don't care how many exegetical lessons you've taken, flame is fire. <laughs> well, I read the Greek. <laughs> You can read their Spanish, their French, and everything, it's fire. Now, I wish I could say that I was saved since the day I was born, but there's no such thing. There's no such person. Anybody that would identify that I've been saved all my life doesn't understand how to get saved. You can't be saved all your life. You have to choose the Christ. At some point in time in your life, you have to make the conscious choice to invite Jesus the Christ into your life, that the righteousness that He has can be imputed, credited to you. And your sin can be paid for past, present, and future. It's a decision you have to make. And so I said, God won't tolerate foolishness forever. I said, God will send you to hell. The truth is, God doesn't send anybody to hell. The truth is, you got to choose to go you got to decide, thanks, but no thanks. I appreciate you making the payment, but I'll pay myself. <laughs> Doesn't sound very smart to me. So since I didn't get saved until I was 17, and I started experimenting with what the world had to offer when I was 14. You say, well, why 14? Because when I was 14, I tried to get up from my pew and walk down front and give my life to Jesus Christ. And my mother grabbed my wrist. And she said, boy, where are you going? <laughs> hey, I'm going down to the front. Well, why would you go down front you've never kissed a girl before? Why would you go down front you've never been to a, to a college, you, you never pledged a fraternity, you never been to a house party? How do you know that that's what you want? 14 years old, I'm thinking, well, I, I thought it was. This is my mother. My mother's a born-again Christian. My mother's asking me these questions, and it was just enough to stop me from wanting to go down front. See, my parents grew up impoverished in Detroit with, without any opportunity financially to further their education. No one in my mother's family had ever graduated high school not her mother, not her father, not her grandmother, not her grandfather, on either side of the family. No one ever graduated high school. No one on my father's side of the family had ever graduated high school. Not my my grandfather, not my grandmother, not my great-grandfather, not my great-grandmother, not any of my father's 10 siblings that were born before him, or nine rather, because he's number 10. Nobody ever graduated high school. So when my parents, were able to graduate high school and God made a way for them to go to college and finish college at Michigan State University. And God opened the door for us to live right down the road in Oakland. And my father was the acting superintendent of schools for one year on a Mott grant that paid for his PhD at the University of Michigan. Once we moved to the suburbs, my father's God became education. So while he knew Lord the Lord Jesus Christ as Savior, he didn't know the Lord as master. Education became the master of my house. We didn't gather around the table to have devotions. I didn't learn about knowing the ark from my dad. God never, God never moved my dad in such a way that he would obey him to talk to me about my need for Jesus. But he made sure, <laughs> if I ever brought a sea home, If I ever had a D on my report, well, let me just say I never did. I didn't even say that. (laughs) That there was going to be a removal from all sports. You'll never see a basketball court in your life bring a C home. You'll never carry another football in all your days. You bring a grade home less than a B. So that's how I grew up. I grew up with education as the God of my house. And as a result of that, when my mom told me that I didn't know what I was doing, in my mind, the switch went off. Well, since I don't know that stuff, I need to get busy. It's time to find out how to buy weed and smoke a blunt. Time to find out. Because obviously, I need to know that because I can't get the Jesus thing if I don't know that first. Now, clearly, that wasn't what she meant. And clearly, that's not what she said. But you know, the enemy was right here. You know, you've been telling them, honey's no. (laughs) You've been trying to wait for marriage. Time to flip the script. Time to become a dog. And that's what I did. Because we have a ton of gangs in Chicago. There's a ton of foolishness to get into. Now, you know, I'm probably the only guy that ever smoked a joint in the whole place. (laughs) (laughs) Y'all don't even know what the chronic is. Y'all haven't even heard of it. Don't know what it smell like. But the truth of the matter is, if you are smoking a joint and you broke and you only bought two joints, that you smoke it all the way down till it gets on your fingertips. And even though it's burning, you still It's burning and you, but you're still trying to do a little something. Anybody that's ever been burned by anything for any amount of time knows how it hurts to have your skin burning. You'll drop it. You want to get high, but it'll hit the ground. We had to eventually just let our son touch the stove because he wasn't getting the message. (laughs) I see you don't believe me. (laughs) We're going to leave that gate down, leave that eye on. So here's my thing. In this Hades place, there's torment. In this Hades place, there's torture. But the God that we serve is a merciful God. He's a gracious God. And so listen what happens. If you or I are in a car accident, a horrific accident, and our right arm ends up on the floorboard of the passenger seat, passenger side of the car, your whole arm over there, you'll kind of wake up out of, you know, being unconscious from the accident. You'll be trying to figure out if you have all your faculties. You'll be looking to see if anybody else is hurt and you'll be good till you look over. and see your arm on the floorboard. (laughs) Before you can get the scream out good, you'll black out. Why is that? Because the God we serve is a merciful God. He's a gracious God. He designed my body in such a way as when the pain is too severe, I black out so I don't feel it. I'm unconscious. I'm out. In this place called Hades, there is no blackout. You burn and you feel the sensation. You can't drop it. You experience it. It's a body built for torture, not built for annihilation. You don't have to believe me. He gave us an example when he allowed the bush to be on fire and to start talking. That's just trying to help you out. The bush was never consumed. The bush never fell to the ground in ashes. It was on fire and manifests its full structure because the God I serve can do whatever he wants with his creation. And if he desires to design a body built for torture, But not annihilation, he'll do it and he'll describe it. He'll let you know that your five senses work even though you don't have a physical body. And you'll be in torture and you'll be in anguish and you'll be on fire and you'll be asking, Can somebody help me? That's what fate awaits my friend, my relative, my associate, my neighbor, when I decide that I'm too nervous or too scared or it's too awkward or I don't have a magnanimous personality to communicate life, death, burial, and resurrection. There's a real hell that people that I know and people that you know are heading to. They're going to maintain their faculties. They're going to have all five senses and they're going to suffer beyond description. And that place is a holding place. It's an abode of the dead. It's not the final hell. So, so I lived in Chicago. It's Cook County and in Cook County jail, you wear orange jumpsuits. They shackle your feet, they shackle your hands. And that's how you are transported from one cell, to the eating location and so on and so forth. It's a county jail, it's not the federal penitentiary. When you get arrested in Cook County, before you go to court, before you are arraigned, they take your picture, they take your fingerprints and they put you in the county jail. They put you in this orange jumpsuit and they shackle you. And you have to await trial if you can't make bail You stay in those same bars. You stay on those same bunks. You eat breakfast at 5.30 a.m. It's cornmeal. (laughs) Not cornmeal on fish. You know what I'm saying? This ain't no catfish fry. This isn't grits or oatmeal. This is cornmeal at 5.30 a.m. You eat lunch at 10.30, five hours later. You get a sandwich with one slice of meat and a piece of fruit. And if you're big enough and strong enough, you can keep it. If not, your boyfriend will come get it. You think I'm playing. Seven hours later, 5.30 p.m., you're going to have dinner. That's the big meal. You, you get a sandwich and a piece of fruit, and some chips. Now, you got to wait 12 hours to eat again. You get up when they want you to get up. You go where they want you to go. You talk to who they allow you to talk to. You're in jail. You're incarcerated. You're bound. It has the same accoutrements, the same accommodations as the federal pen. It's just the county pen. It's the place that you go before you actually go to trial. Hades is the place that the unrighteous dead go. The non-believer will spend their time in Hades until they go to the great white throne judgment to meet the judge for final sentencing. And they'll go from Hades to this location called Gehenna. It's the third and final hell. They'll go from one place to this other location. It's called the lake of fire in Revelation chapter 20. It says that Hades was cast into the lake of fire. In the Bible, it says that hell is a place of weeping and gnashing of teeth. You say, now what does that phrase mean? Weeping and gnashing of teeth. So how many of you have bit your tongue before? You've bitten your tongue before. Let me see your hand. And how do of you be transparent tonight and keep your hand raised to say, the tear ducts welled up when I bit it. <laughs> I was trying to be cool about it. Didn't want a whole bunch of people to know. But I bit it and, whoa! <laughs> Just it was a physiological reaction. My tear ducts welled up. So, so that was an accidental bite. Wasn't on purpose. So when the Scripture says that there is weeping and gnashing of teeth in hell, it is describing individuals who have not chosen the Christ, who have died a physical death, who are in Hades, the abode of the dead. They're suffering torture, and the torture is so great that they're gnawing on their tongue like you chew a piece of gum to get relief from the pain. Now, I don't know about you, but I'm not smart enough to figure out what kind of pain is it that hell offers that chewing my tongue is a relief from it. Not only do I not know, but I'm never going to (laughs) know. But I got folk that I work out with at the gym. I got folk that I see all the time at Patterson's West Roller Skating Ring. I got folk that Hang out with us when we are at the Seahawk games. <laughs> I didn't mean to hurt anybody's feelings with that statement. I was just <laughs> mentioning. <laughs> we happen to go on occasion. <laughs> the individuals that go with us don't know what I know. Having experience what, by the grace of God, I've, I've come to experience in my lifetime. And so on the bus ride there, or on the bus ride back, while we're ushering and waiting, we have a group of individuals, by the grace of God, we're allowed to go and usher. It kind of works out where they want to provide for faith-based organizations and nonprofits. You bring your nonprofit organization, and those individuals they can't afford to give an offering but can give their time, they can stand at the Seahawks game, watch the game, get paid $10 an hour, and all the money goes to the ministry. Instead of using their treasure, they can use their time on behalf of the kingdom. So all the way there, everyone in the church that knows somebody that's without a job or has a job and still can't make ends meet, they can invite them to stand and usher. And anybody who doesn't have a job that doesn't belong to the church, we give them the money that belongs to the church. So they end up working, and we end up having an open door and a captive audience for four hours. I need you to stand right next to me. (laughs) I don't know you, you don't know me, but for four hours. I'm sure I can sneak the gospel in before the last quarter is over." (laughs) So those individuals are on their way to this place where you get this body that's built for punishment and built for torture, but not built for annihilation. If they find themselves in that disposition, then ultimately they will stand before God at the great white throne judgment. Turn to Matthew chapter 10, verse 28. Matthew chapter ten verse twenty-eight. It says, "And do not fear those who kill the body, but cannot kill the soul. But rather fear him, who is able to destroy both soul and body in in hell." Greek word Gehenna. It's not Tartarus, the abode or the holding place of fallen angels that have left their proper domain. It's not Hades, the abode of the dead, of those individuals that have, cho- that have chosen not to receive the Christ, but to live their own life for their, for their own selves and to suffer the consequence of paying for their sin themselves when they stand before God. It's Gehenna. It's the lake of fire. It's the final hell. It's the place where they move from the county jail to the federal penitentiary to serve the entire eternal sentence there's no option for Baal. You say, well, how do you know for sure that this body isn't built for annihilation? Turn to Revelation 19. Revelation 19, there's two individuals that are part of this false trinity. One is known as the false prophet, the other is known as the beast. Of course, the third member of that trio is Satan himself. The Bible says in Revelation 19, Verse 19, and I saw the beast, the kings of the earth, and their armies gathered together to make war against him who sat on the horse and against his army. Then the beast was captured, and with him the false prophet, who worked signs in his presence by which he deceived those who received the mark of the beast and those who worshipped his image. These two were cast alive into the lake of fire, burning with brimstone. They were cast alive into the lake of fire you get down to chapter 20 of revelation and you see that satan is thrown into the abyss tartarus the first hell we spoke of and he's bound there by chain for a thousand years and then he's released and look what happens after satan is released in revelation chapter 20 starting at verse 10. i'll read verse 7. now when the thousand years have expired satan will be released from his prison verse 10 the devil who deceived them was cast into the lake of fire and brimstone watch this where the beast and the false prophet are and they will be tormented day and night forever and ever notice it didn't say that the beast and the false prophet were there a thousand years before they were cast there alive satan is bound for a thousand years Satan is released and when he's thrown in the lake of fire guess who's still there? The beast and the false, false prophet not were there. They weren't annihilated in the thousand years. They are there. Being tormented. The scripture says day and night forever. The people that I know that are on their way to hell. The people that you know that are on their way to hell. And God has commanded us to communicate how they can avoid that place of eternal torment. See, at the end of the day, I'm not going to the great white throne judgment by the grace of God. I'm going to another judgment. It's called the Beamer Seat of Christ. That's the reward ceremony. And the Scripture says there are five crowns that a believer can receive. And I don't know about you, but I plan on getting all five. I want my crowns broke off, tilted to the side, emeralds, diamonds, and rubies hanging off the side. Because the Scripture says in Revelation chapter 4 verse 4 that we get to cast our crowns at His feet. I really don't want to be there and have nothing to cast for my Savior's sacrifice for me. So these individuals are going to go to the great white throne judgment. The Bible says books will be opened. Books will be open, and they won't be able to say to their friend, "In hell, well, you know, I'm down here with some trumped-up charges, you know what I'm saying? <laughs> Holy Ghost got together with the angels, and they didn't mess my stuff up. <laughs> I've been doing some reading. <laughs> no, that's not how it's going to work. Some books will be open in every jot and tittle, every word spoken, everything done in the dark that your mama never saw, your daddy never saw your teacher, never knew about. Your husband never found out, your wife never knew. Your brother had no clue you were doing everything you've ever done, everything you've ever said, you were given account for. If you don't have a relationship with the Christ, there will be books open, and your entire life will be communicated. Everything you've ever done that is egregious to the Holy Spirit of God and contrary to the truth of the word will be communicated, lest you think that you're going there for no reason. You're going to go to hell because you chose to pay for your sin yourself as opposed to allowing the one who gave his life over 2,000 years ago to make payment for you. God's not happy with you. The wrath of God is after you. He who has the Son has life. He who does not have the Son does not have life, but the wrath of God abideth on him. John chapter 3, verse 36 says, The wrath of God is your eternal future if you choose not to receive His Son. It's not something I'm making up. It's in the Scripture. You get to read it. You must be born again. It's not an option. You want to meet God. You want to be reconciled. You want to be forgiven. You got to choose to be born again. And so the goal is, is not to have to fear hell. The goal is not to have to understand what it means when it says the worm never dies. The goal is not to try to figure out what does it feel like to be on fire and not be able to put it out. The goal is to make the conscious choice to invite Jesus to Christ into your life, to allow this big old $5 word called propitiation to take place. It's the price that Christ paid to appease the wrath of God. To allow myself to be justified. Big old word called justification. Romans chapter 3 verse 24 says I've been justified. I've experienced justification. It means just as if I never did it. I did it. <laughs> I'm guilty. I should pay. But God loves me. He sent his son who paid in my place. <laughs> We're so excited to see some people baptized, we're ecstatic to see it happen because baptism is an outward showing of an inward decision. If you don't know that you know, that you know, that you know, when it was or where you were or if you ever have said yes to Jesus the Christ, then you don't need to get baptized because that's just taking a bath with your clothes on. It's supposed to be going public for God it's supposed to be an outward showing of an inward decision but the question on the floor is when did the inward decision take place where were you who was there how do you know God desires to save you he gave his son for that purpose He desires to use you, if you already know him, to make him known to your friends, to your relatives, to your associates, to your neighbors. God forbid they wind up in Gehenna on your watch. Ezekiel said that their blood will be on you because God put you in that family. God put you at that job. God moved you into that neighborhood. God gave you that skill to dance, to sing, to act to play football, to play basketball, to cheerlead, to play volleyball. It's not for you, it's for Him. And every platform He gives me, I'm supposed to use to His glory to make Him known. So I got to go because we got to make sure we get these folks in this water. So I got this frying pan from Walmart, it's right across from where our hotel is. And uh, I'm going to see if I can not take this frying pan and roll it up for you. Now, the frying pan was designed to fry eggs. It was designed to fry some yard bird. That's chicken for y'all to miss that. that. <laughs> What'd he say? <laughs> yeah, that's chicken. <laughs> it was designed to put some Crisco in there and fry up some, some chicken. But, but I'm going to take it. I'm going to see if I can not bend it up for you. And, and, and I want to just, just take a second and see if I can not get that moving real quick. And then we'll talk about the... The burrito I'm gonna try to make. Okay, we had Chevy's the other day. Burritos, I'm gonna see if I can bend this pan for you. There you go. (laughs) Now, Now, if you're really just having a really bad day, What you want to do is put this back in the Walmart bag, <laughs> roll up to the customer service window, <laughs> just ask for the manager up front. I demand to see the manager. <laughs> yes, sir. <laughs> manager comes, you pull the bag out, slide it over the counter real easy. Let him pull it out. They don't really know what to say. (laughs) They don't know who to call. (laughs) They're challenged greatly. Well, sir, can you tell me? Yeah, you know what? My wife put it on the stove and poof, it rolled up. (laughs) So here's the deal the frying pan was designed by the manufacturer, by the maker to fry chicken. But in the wrong hands, it wound up being mangled and it will never fry anything again. I was designed by the manufacturer to give the gospel. This enemy's goal is to kill and to steal and destroy my effectiveness for my creation. And the more of his trinkets and toys and enticements that I fall in love with, the less likely I am to fry chicken, to do what I was designed to do, and to serve my designed and creative purpose. God designed me to be his messenger. He called you to do the same. Don't let yourself get mangled by the enemy. Purpose yourself to do what God created you to do. Come on, let's pray. Hallelujah. All glory to God. All glory to God. Lord God, we give you glory. We give you praise. We give you adoration. We extol your name. We look forward to those being baptized. We thank you for the worship team. God, we thank you for those who are present here tonight. And with your head bowed and your eyes closed, you say, You know, I'm not so sure that I'm going to be able to avoid that place called hell. I don't want to go. I have no desire to be there. I've always wanted to go to heaven, and I believe I know the process. But without knowing for sure exactly what you need to do, I want to raise my hand to say that I want to be in heaven for eternity. I'll allow someone that's here at the church that will walk me through the scripture for five or ten minutes to show me how the process works because I understand it's not just going to church that won't make you Christian. It's not just reading the Bible that won't make you Christian. It's not just helping those who are less fortunate than yourself that won't make you Christian. It's not giving of your resources for the welfare of others who don't have resources that won't make you Christian. It's not self-mutilation. It's not fasting. it's, It's It's not helping those who suffer injustice in our political system. That won't make you Christian. In order to become Christian, you must A admit you're a sinner. B believe in the finished work of Christ. C confess, agree that Jesus is Lord. He's risen from the dead. That's what makes one Christian. And if you don't know where you were or when it was that you made that conscious choice, remember God's not sending you anywhere. He's offering you eternity with himself. He wants to have a relationship with you here tonight. He wants you to stop practicing religion because religion doesn't save. He wants you to enter into relationship with himself by inviting his son, Jesus, the Christ to come into your life that his righteousness might be credited to you. And you'll go to heaven not because you go to church. You'll go to heaven not because you read the Bible. you go to heaven not because you pray, but you'll go to heaven because the one who gave his life lives in you by your invitation. So with your head bowed and your eyes closed, I'm going to count to three. If you don't know for certain, if you don't know for sure, if you don't have peace in your own heart, that if you were to die today, you would open your eyes in glory in the presence of the Lord, I want you to raise your hand when I get to three. Listen, please don't let the person who's not here stop you from doing what you're here for. Don't let the person sitting next to you that thought that you were a Christian for the last 10 years be the reason why you don't obey God in this moment. Salvation is found in no one else, for there is no other name under heaven by which we must be saved. So here we go. On one, I don't care if you're 5 or 95, Jesus loves you. He desires to save you. You have to choose to be saved. On two, whatever that nervous feeling is, whatever that anguish is, whatever is keeping you from closing your eyes right now because you're uncomfortable, know that it's the enemy's noema. It's his thought. It's not God's thought. He wants you to think you got more time. He wants you to think you can wait until another service next week. He wants you to think that you can talk about it to somebody else on some other day. But God wants to save you right now. God wants to save you right now in this moment, here tonight. He wants you to be in relationship with Him for eternity. On three, if you want Christ in your life, raise your hand. I want to invite Christ into my life. I want to invite Jesus Christ into my life. I see your hands back there in the back. Raise your hand real high. Listen, the folks here are praying for you. You don't have to be ashamed. God loves you. He drew you to himself here tonight so he could save you. Change your life forever. I see your hand way back in the back, brother. I see your hand right here in the front, brother. I see your hand back there in the back, sister. God bless you. I see your hand in the middle. God bless you right there with your pink blouse on. God bless you. Who else? Raise your hand real high so God can see it. I see your hand right there. I see your hand in the second row. God bless you. Everybody with their hand raised, come this way. Just stand up. It's okay. Just stand up. Don't be embarrassed. Don't be ashamed. God loves Just come right here. Stand right here. Come on from right there. Stand right here. Come all the way to the front. You got your hand raised. Come from the back. Come on to the front. The Lord loves you. Hallelujah. Watch the Holy Spirit do that which only he can do. I see you, Doc, from the back row. <laughs> Amen. <laughs> glory to God. All glory to the... God to the God of the universe. Only He can save. Only God can save. Only God can save. So I just want to tell all of you, you just made the best decision you could ever make in your whole life, bar none. There's no decision you could ever make better than the one you made tonight. So I know we're gonna sing some praise and worship, we're gonna baptize some folks, but I need everybody to stand. We, just really quick, I need everybody to stand. So we got 2, four, six, eight, 10, 12, 14, 14 people up here. And you know, we, we dare not contaminate God's glory by crediting anyone up here with what happened down here. He did this. <laughs> So, so, I'm going to count to three one more time, because there may be somebody else who should have walked this way, and the enemy convinced them, maybe not tonight. It's too late. Worship team is already up. <laughs> you missed it. I'm just here to tell you, the greatest thing that the church of God could ever do is see God saving individuals and moving them from conversion to discipleship. It's the greatest thing the church of God could ever do. So I'm going to count to three again, and when I get to three, I want people to clap because there's somebody else who needs to move forward on what's going on in here. Isn't that heart that's skipping a beat? That that nervousness that you're feeling? Them sweaty palms you have? You say, oh, I'm off the hook. That's cool. He's done. I'm good. Uh, No, I'm not done. One more time. We're going to count to three. And only you and God know if your heart is right with God. Nobody else knows but you and God. So it doesn't matter what you look like. It doesn't matter what you wear. It doesn't matter what vernacular you use. If your heart's not right with God, you'll wind up in hell. All for form and all for fashion in the sight of men. None of them will be there when you stand before God. None of these people around here will be standing watching you. Only you and God will be having this conversation. You can be forgiven for all of it right now, tonight. I see you, brother. I see you. I see you, brother. I see you. I'm proud of you, man. I'm proud of you. We got to move on, we got to count. Holy Spirit wants to draw you to Himself, He wants to change your life for eternity. Only you can receive it. On one. Now, come on, saints, y'all got to make some noise for these folks. On two. Come on, you know who you are. On three. Besides this brother, who else? Just walk this way. Who else? Tonight is the night. Move from your seat. Take a step of faith. Believe God for your eternity. Who else? I see you, brother. I see you. I see you coming down to get yours. I see you. Praise God for you, man. We praise God for you. Nothing like obeying the Spirit of God. So we got some leaders here, and and the leaders are going to have half of you go this way, half of you go this way. We're going to write down your name and your address and your email. You're not joining the church. You just joined the family of God. Okay. But in order for us to make disciples, we got to have the information to contact you with. So just move over this way, half of this way, half move that way. You all do what you do. Come on, let's give God a big hand. Praise everybody.